0: Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Gramps. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, and we are on day 2289 of our trek. The purpose of Wisdom Trek is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow where few have chosen to grow before. We are continuing the messages I delivered at Putnam Congregational Church over the past couple of years. This is the first of ten messages in our series covering the characters of Christmas. This message is titled, Joseph. The unsung hero of christmas i pray that it'll be a conduit of learning and encouragement for you because today as we look at characters of christmas joseph joins us you can see the carpentry tools we have up here reflecting of joseph's ministry i do appreciate everybody being here this week now, last week we studied one of the most miraculous historical events of all history in a message titled, A Miraculous Resurrection. And the focus last week was on the three essential elements of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus assures us of God's forgiveness. The resurrection of Jesus assures us of God's power. And the resurrection of Jesus assures us of God's ultimate triumph at the end of history. And we're going to break, like I said, from our series in John that we've been going over since last January for three weeks, or for, until the first of the year, I should say, for five messages, because we only have three more messages to go in, John, but I wanted to set this time aside for a special Advent season where we can slow down, we can reflect on those characters of Christmas. Starting today, we're beginning our Advent series, exploring those characters of Christmas. I have five for this year, and I'll probably save the rest for next year. In today' beginning, we're going to have Joseph, the unsung hero. So if you follow along in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, it's on page 1497 in the Pew Bible. And this section is titled, Joseph Accepts Jesus as His Son, starting with verse 18. This is how the birth of the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. As we crack open that Christmas story starting today, we find that it's populated by familiar characters. Some like Mary, who sort of takes center stage and looms large in the passages and throughout church history. Others like Joseph, who seemed to fade into the background. And still others like Simeon and Anna, who were obscure figures. They're bit players, but the gospel writers decided that they were important to include in this Christmas story. This Christmas, I'd like to invite you to travel with me back to those years where we can see the characters of Christmas. As we think about around our nativity sets, those characters and others that were part of that Christmas story, those that are making their cameo appearances in a drama of God made flesh. We should become familiar with their lives, even if they're obscure figures, because their stories are part of that Christmas story. And because like our own, their lives point to the one who was to come to bring salvation to entire the world, to change the world, and that was Jesus Christ. He is the light that illuminates their lives, and if we believe in him, our lives also illuminate him. From the fall in the garden, through the ages, God has promised his people that he would send a Messiah, a redeemer who would be the light to the world, not only to the Jewish people whom he had called to be a light, but we are also called to be a light. The light shining from a hilltop that should not be covered. The prophet Isaiah spoke in his day, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light is shown. So as we reflect in this Christmas season, I invite you afresh to look at the stories around those lives that centered on the birth of Jesus. The one that they found in the manger or were some part of this Christmas story. They intersect, their lives intersect with Christ in some means. And because they do... That's important. So as we tell stories around our fireplaces, or in our churches, or in the hidden places around the world, let's let these characters of Christmas point us back to the one who is the light and illuminates all of us. So today, let's explore the role of Joseph. He was a carpenter by trade. Now, I know they didn't have the same tools, but I brought in some carpentry tools today. A saw a level, and a couple hammers, that he might have used even some version of these in his life. He surely had plans as a young man, betrothed but not yet married to his bride. So he worked hard as a carpenter to provide for his soon-to-be bride and whatever children that they may have. He had dreams, but amid this dream, his life, his faith would be tested. As we look at Joseph's unexpected, and he might say, this bad news that came into his life. Now, we don't precisely know how Joseph found out that his fiancée was pregnant, but we can imagine the difficult conversation that he would have had with Mary. And I love how Matthew sums, it up, sums up this whole awkward situation with an understated phrase. She was found to be pregnant. In verse 18. Did she tell him before she hurried off to visit her relative Elizabeth, whom she might have stayed with for the rest of the three months until John the Baptizer was born? Or did she wait till she came back? And by that time, she was probably starting to show. And regardless, when Joseph found out, he hadn't yet had the benefit of that angelic visit. Instead, he only had the word of Mary, whom he really hardly knew. They were young. And moreover, in those days, if you remember when we talked about it in the book of John, between the time when they were engaged and they consummated their marriage, it was usually a year time there. And You remember why they took time between those two? It was so that the husband-to-be could go back and build a room onto the family home to bring his bride into Remember the analogy of Jesus going back to heaven saying, I go to prepare a room for you, so when I come back, to take you as my bride. They probably had spent little time together up to this point. Instead, he was probably busy with his carpentry work and building that room onto his parents' home. Imagine Joseph's shock when Mary told him that she was pregnant. And unlike today, where sexual activity is assumed among couples in serious relationships, although that's not what God's design is, Joseph and Mary up to this point had not been intimate. Joseph likely responded in stunned silence, mouth agape, saying, I hear your words, but I don't understand. She told him that she was not only pregnant, but she was pregnant conceived by the Holy Spirit. Mary believed that she saw an angel and even wrote a celebration song which she sang before her relative Elizabeth. It was called The Magnificent. That song is celebration of being the chosen one to bring God's Son into the world. But Joseph was likely in no mood for a song or a party at all. You might envision him saying, Mary, Are you serious? How could you do this to us? What do you mean that you're still a virgin? You know that's impossible. Who did this to you? Where is he? And we read Matthew's account with the benefit of 2,000 years of hindsight. And we go about our Advent readings and planning our Christmas calendar. We're putting up cute little nativity scenes and having our kids or grandkids dress up as Mary and Joseph, and we think, what a blessed story. But for a moment, when the shock of this situation hit him, Joseph could not see that God was working through him, through his life, which he seemed inconsequential to him. He was trying to grasp the story. The child inside his fiance may be the son of God? This child may be a true and better David. This child may be save his people from their sins and restore this kingdom to the world. But for Joseph, it was his worst nightmare. One commentator, commentator said that breaking an engagement like this was even worse than breaking the most formal business contract that you might have. Joseph must have felt betrayed. He felt alone. He felt stuck. What would he tell his family and his friends? And put yourself in Joseph's sandals for a moment. He had not seen an angel yet, but he had just been faithfully living his life, working as a carpenter, doing his best to build a life and a future for his family. He trusted Mary to be faithful and devout and pledged his life to her. And yet it seems that she had betrayed him. verse 20 says, as he considered this, he was pondering, what do I do now? What does this mean to my life? Joseph had some serious thinking to do. And we don't know how long it was between when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and the subsequent visit to Joseph in a dream. Was it months or weeks or just a few days? We know that those restless days and nights must have been difficult for Joseph. So we can imagine Joseph's fitful nights, his pacing, his restlessness, considering and pondering these things. How can this happen? What should I do? Because Joseph really only had two choices. In those days, if a betrothed was found to have committed adultery, there were two options for him. The plan of action most men would take would be quite drastic. Joseph could publicly shame her and bring her before the religious authorities, resulting in the forfeiture of his dowry that he paid to her father, and possibly even death for Mary by stoning. Consider, as we looked at John, the case of the adulterous woman in John 8, whom Jesus rescued from public exec- execution. The alternative would be to divorce her privately. He would still have to endure that embarrassment among his family and friends in his community, and he'd face questions by his peers about what went wrong. But he also had to obey his conscience on what is best for Mary in this case. There's so much to commend Joseph for, even though he is almost a footnote in the Christmas story. Joseph didn't decide out of immediate anger He wasn't irrational or unstable. Instead, he demonstrated a remarkable grace and poise, especially for a younger man who just has seen his life turned upside down from all of his plans and hopes. He took time to assess the situation and seeing the humanity of Mary, realizing that we've all sinned and come short of God's glory and providing some grace to his betrothed Mary. He made a choice that he thought would be best for her. But unbeknownst to him, what unexpected and probably he thought bad news would actually turn out to be God's good news. We know that Joseph didn't go through the divorce because God sent a heavenly messenger to visit Joseph. Just as an angel had visited Mary at night, This time, God spoke to Joseph through a dream, recalling the divine word spoken by another Joseph. Think about the Joseph in Genesis, the son of Jacob. He would be asked by God to endure a difficult life that he never envisioned and to bear the shame for sins that he did not commit. So too, this Joseph would have to bear a life for sins he did not commit. Except there was no sin in his story. And see how the angels addressed his subject? He refers to Joseph as the son of David. And God did, didn't pick just any first century Jewish man to be a steward of his own son. He chose a faithful son of David. And you know what's interesting is the only other person in the Old New Testament that was referred to as a son of David. Was Jesus Christ Himself. Joseph, his earthly father, and Jesus Christ were the only two who were referred to as the Son of David. But this title came with authority, reminding Joseph of his royal lineage, is preparing him for the task ahead. Matthew also tells his readers that Jesus was the rightful son of David, and something that Paul later affirmed as he wrote the letter to the Romans. That Jesus, the Son of David, according to the flesh, in Romans chapter 13, the son of David, according to the flesh, through his earthly father, he was the in the line of David. Then the angel assured Joseph that the baby in Mary's womb was not the fruit of some sort of sin or the consequence of some sin, but was conceived miraculously by that Holy Spirit. Therefore, God had chosen her, Mary, to be the mother of Jesus, his one and only son. We don't know how this made Joseph feel. We don't know how he would have felt in that situation. We don't know that during the vision that he had in his dream, whether he recalled the scriptures that he had read in the temple, obviously the words of the prophet describing a future Messiah, the coming of the Messiah born of a virgin in Isaiah chapter 7, But just in case, the angel reminded him of these scriptures. Perhaps the reality overwhelmed him at the time, realizing that the fullness of time, as Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 4, had come. The fullness of time had arrived. The march of salvation's history, the fulfillment of prophecy, the long-awaited promise was at Joseph's doorstep and was in his life. His life was ever-changed that long-awaited promise. What a mo- holy moment that must have been for Joseph. What a time of celebration and holy awe to kneel in humble adoration, realizing that he was also chosen to be the earthly steward, the earthly guardian of God's Son. And not only was Joseph's unexpected news turned into God's good news, it was pointing to the rightful king forever. Forever it should also cause us to stop and worship as well. This is why we should slow down during this Advent season, during this month of December, to feel some anticipation of the Old Testament saints as they awaited for Jesus' first Advent, waiting for that Messiah for centuries to come. The episode of Christmas narrative reminds us of God's faithfulness and His promises. Those words spoken by Isaiah and other prophets We're not just inspirational tidings that we put on our greeting cards at Christmas or our Christmas ornaments. They are a continuation of God's promise to send a Redeemer, an Emmanuel, a God-man, to live among us. To quote the angel, to save his people from their sins. This is why Matthew opens with a bold claim that the son of a carpenter from Nazareth was no ordinary man. He was a king in the line of David, fulfilling God's promises. And Jesus had to be born of a virgin because he had to be free from that curse of sin because sin, according to Scripture, is passed down through the Father. And with no earthly father, there was no sin to be passed down to Jesus Christ. As a new Adam, Jesus would fulfill what Adam could not fulfill. Moreover, he would defeat sin and death that corrupts the human race the angel reminded Joseph that he was of no ordinary birth, that he would have have a role of no typical father. And yet, in telling Joseph that he was to name the baby Jesus, he reminded Joseph that he was only a steward of God's Son. Now, in those days, the fathers named the sons, and by naming him, Joseph was essentially adopting Jesus Christ as his own son, by giving him the name. And unlike earthly fathers, he would not have the opportunity to pick that name of his choosing. And yet, like Adam, whom God tasked with naming all the animals, Joseph would be assigned a leadership role in naming the future son of God. Joseph, son of Adam, would be a steward of the baby, and would fulfill what Adam could not fulfill. And that brings us to the devout son of David, that son to be born. And I find it interesting the way the angels appealed to Joseph by confirming the news of Mary's pregnancy. As we noted above, he was first called the son of David, and that was appealing to Joseph's pride of his legacy. Essentially, it's saying, you are a royal ancestry, it seems to be saying, of this scared man. You are part of God's people. And then second, they appealed according to Scripture. This, that is, the angel reminds him that he was fulfilling prophecy by the coming of the Messiah. This tells us two things about the man who would be the earthly guardian of Jesus. First, he knew who he was, and then he was committed to the Scriptures that he knew. And this is no small, small thing. This is how the Bible appeals to us as his followers, even Today. Know who you are as a Christian, and know what the Bible says. Because if we know that we're believers in what the Bible says, then we can follow what God wants for our lives. And Joseph's response wasn't what you'd expect. It was what you'd expect from a devout son of David. He was committed to Scripture, and he immediately obeyed, because in verse 24, Matthew tells us, When Joseph woke up from his dream, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Joseph had immediate obedience to this very, very difficult mission that was before him. Unlike another prophet we read, Jonah, he didn't wake up and go immediately to Nineveh. Instead, he tried to find a way around God's plan and his mission But Joseph's obedience to God's cost, he knew he would sacrifice his own reputation. Many Christians today, probably much older than Joseph was at this time, in claiming to have the power of the Holy Spirit in us, have we learned that lesson that it's not about us. It's about building God's kingdom. And that's our task in this world. Joseph we think was a man of few words. We don't know much about him at all. But we do know that he was a man of simple faithfulness. He did the next right thing in front of him. So much so for our lives is following God. It's not, God, what do you want me to do next year or 10 years or 30 years from now? We need to be asking, God, what do you want me to do today to build your kingdom? And that's not to say we shouldn't make plans for the future, long-term plans. But are we asking every day, God, what is your plan for me today? And that's what Joseph did. He didn't know the future, but he said, what's the next right move? Let's consider for a moment what Joseph was signing up for. It was no easy assignment. In marrying Mary, he would be the subject of endless scrutiny. And if you think he reacted strangely at first to this news of Mary, The conception through the Holy Spirit? How do you think others in his immediate circle and his family would think? Say, yeah, Mary's pregnant, but it was from the Holy Spirit, not from me. They'd say, all right, yep. They'd either have to believe him or they'd reject him. In listening to the voice of God, Joseph was giving up his own reputation. Think about the significance of Joseph marrying in that society of his day having a pregnant wife and marrying her. Everybody, because it was a shame and honor society, will know that this child was not born nine or ten months after they got married. They would know that she was already pregnant. So that would mean Joseph and Mary either had sex before they were married or she was unfaithful to him. And as a result, they would be shamed. They would be socially excluded. They would be rejected. They were probably poor to begin with and now they were going to be second class citizens forever that's what he was signing up for as he had this opportunity to be the father earthly father of god's son by saying yes to god joseph was saying no to everything he had worked for including his reputation in the community it's easy for us to glance over and not give another thought about this part of matthew's gospel at christmas time just a short piece of the overall narrative. But we should pause and consider how significant this decision was. Joseph could have made a different choice. He could have gone ahead and divorced Mary, but he was obedient to God's word. We should consider how Joseph was now an outsider among his own people. He would bear the shame for sins that he did not commit, and yet it only foreshadowed the baby who would be born would bear the shame for not only Joseph and Mary, but for the entire world of all those who choose to believe in him. And that's why Jesus would later sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus would literally become sin for his people, so, that the fa- so much so that the father, who could not abide sin, would turn his face right away from his own son. He was to quote Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, who was despised and rejected. Joseph would not only lose his reputation, but he would lose the comfort and the safety of his life that he had planned. He would not be intimate with Mary until after Jesus was born. And this wasn't something the angels told him to do, but he went above and beyond what those specific instructions were that he was required to say yes to God, rather than asking, well, how do you think I feel about this? This isn't fair. Joseph continually asked, What's the next right, best thing to do for God? When Joseph and Mary traveled to Bethlehem prior to Jesus' birth, since their family was from Bethlehem, it would be assumed that they would stay with family members. It may have been that the inn wasn't the only place that didn't have any room for Mary and Joseph that night. They were outcast among their own family. We later learn in Matthew that once Herod had heard about the birth of Jesus and sought to kill him, Joseph was commanded by God to take that young infant and his wife, Mary, from Bethlehem to leave Bethlehem and travel to Egypt. But once again, we tend to overlook the details of that scripture. But let us imagine the difficulty of traveling in those days. It's not like we can hop in our car and head out and travel hundreds of miles without even thinking about it. There were added expensive expenses. They were severing family ties and friends' ties. And yet, when the angel appeared to Joseph again in another dream at night, Joseph didn't hesitate. He got up immediately that same night and obeyed God's voice and headed out to Egypt. Now, in this journey to Egypt, we again see echoes, the Old Testament story about another Joseph who was summoned to a hard life In Egypt to save his people, God's people, those ancestors of Abraham and Sarah, in a journey to Egypt that would save them from famine in the midst of no food. And that's why Hosea references in history in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, when he says that God's care for Israel, I called my son out of Egypt. And there, there's a double reference. Hosea was saying, I called my nation out of Egypt. But he also called his own personal son, his son of God, back out of Egypt, back to Israel after the threat was over. And this speaks of Joseph's faithfulness of character. He puts the interests of his family above his own comfort. And I'm sure the transient nature of this early family life certainly didn't help his carpentry business at all. How could he establish something he was always moving around? In addition, living as refugees in Egypt was not easy. He was likely joined by other Jewish exiles, probably made his life even more difficult. And even though Joseph was not Jesus' biological father, he was Jesus' earthly father in every sense of the word. He adopted Jesus as his very own and cared for him as he would if his own flesh and blood. And this is why the genealogies of Jesus uses Joseph to go back to David because he was son of David. It traces Jesus' heritage. And by all accounts, Jesus was, no, was, was just an ordinary boy. Yet consider the way he, his peers reacted to him when they returned to Nazareth, at the beginning of his earthly ministry, as recorded in Matthew 13, verses 54 through 58. It says, He returned to Nazareth, his hometown And when he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do these miracles? Then they scoffed. He is just a carpenter's son. We know Mary, his mother, his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and all his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his own family. And so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. They were saying, isn't this just a carpenter's son? When Jesus began his earthly ministry, his father Joseph was better well well known than he was. Jesus was in his childhood defined by his father. He was the son of a carpenter. It's hard for us to fathom, but Jesus, who was fully God yet fully human, likely learned most of what he knew from his earthly father, Joseph. The scriptures he quoted when he was tempted in the wilderness, when Satan tempted him, was probably first heard from the lips of Joseph. The care he showed for the weak and the vulnerable was probably first exhibited by the self-sacrificing earthly father that he had who gave up everything to be the father of Jesus. Moreover, Jesus seemed to be indistinguishable from his siblings in his childhood. That seemed to be what the people of his hometown were saying in Matthew 13, 55. We know his brothers and sisters, they're nothing special. Maybe that I'm reading more into the text than it is, but it appears that while Joseph understood the weight of his calling to raise the Son of God, he seemed to have parented Jesus in the same way that he parented his other children, who were certainly not divine, who were his own flesh and blood. They were from him. They were in his flesh and blood. But he didn't favor Jesus. But he didn't ignore Jesus because he wasn't his biological child. Joseph exhibited all the true spirit of adoption And that's what Joseph's legacy is in this last section. Ultimately, we don't know what happens to Joseph after he is mentioned in the visit of Jesus in the temple at age 12. He doesn't show up again in the scriptures anywhere. And this is the reason for us to believe that maybe he met with an untimely death. In every other passage of scripture where the family is featured, it was only Mary and Jesus' siblings that are mentioned. And given that Joseph may have been a few years older than Mary it's likely the life expectancy of that first century peasant Jew was not that great. And it could have been that losing his earthly father was the first, closest instance that Jesus had to the human suffering. And the most poignant absence of Joseph is, however, seen at Calvary where just before dying, which we looked at two weeks ago, Jesus asked his beloved friend John to care for his mother in John 19. In this, we see Jesus caring not only for Mary's salvation and peace with God, during dying for her sins, we see him caring for her personal needs while he was gone. Joseph was not on the scene, and it was left to the firstborn son of those days to care for any mother who was widowed. It was a responsibility to make sure that his mother was cared for. Jesus followed the law that required that the parents be taken care of in their old age in Deuteronomy chapter five, sixteen, He was also following the example of his earthly father, ensuring the welfare of those that God had entrusted to his care. Now Jesus and his half-brother James had seen this ethic play out in their father's life, who exhibited faith, as James wrote later in his letter, to take care of the orphans and widows in their affliction. And so it is with Joseph's legacy. He's barely mentioned in Scripture, forgotten in most of church history, but remembered as God's faithful servant. And for most of us, this can be our legacy also, if we're willing, like Joseph, to say yes to God. In our bulletin insert this week, and I'll have an Advent reflection every week, we look at Joseph, the unsung hero of Christmas. And I put down here six points of his legacy. First, Joseph was an ordinary man willing to be used by an extraordinary God. Second, Joseph displayed a righteous character in a difficult situation. Third, Joseph obeyed immediately through a dream that changed the world, as the graphic says at the bottom of that page. And on the other side, fourth, Joseph was willing to suffer reputational harm and loss of comfort for the sake of God and others. Fifth, Joseph took spiritual leadership of his family. And sixth, Joseph is a picture of Christ's shame and reproach on our behalf, which is reflected in Emmanuel, God with us. And that can be our legacy. Our legacy. If we, like Joseph, are willing to say yes to God every single day, God, what do you want from me today to display your kingdom, to further your kingdom? And that's what today's message is about. Joseph, the unsung hero of Christmas, who had so much to bear, but he bared it willingly because he knew that's what God called him to do. And so it is with us. We may not ever gain any notoriety in this life, but that's not what God has called us to do. He called us to be faithful, to build his kingdom every day. And then next week, the characters of Christmas are part of a Christmas miracle as we dig into the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth. So I'd encourage you to read through Luke chapter 1 in preparation for next week's message. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for Joseph, who was your faithful servant, who was called to a monumental task to raise your son as his earthly father, to teach him your word, to show him what a faithful servant of God is. We thank you for him. We thank you for the role that he played in the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can look to Joseph as an example of faith on how we're to live each day, that we might say yes to you and say on a daily basis, Lord, what would you have me to do today? Because we know if we obey you today and every day, that we'll be doing your will I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. As we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly, love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously